Yes, so for those of you who don't know me, I'm H. Um, I'm married to Ed, and we regularly come to the 11 o'clock service. Um, we've got three um, small children, uh, Rafferty, Eloise, and Ottilie, who um, mainly keep me busy. Um, so, yeah, so it's lovely to be here. So we're starting a new series today um, looking at um, the kingdom of heaven and parables in Matthew that talk about the kingdom of heaven. Um, and so I'm going to read the passage. If you haven't got one of these, they're at the end of the pew. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets and threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? Jesus asked. Yes, they replied. He said to them, therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. In um, this passage, Jesus previously has been talking to large crowds, and now he's come away with his disciples. And so everything that we have just read and heard is talking to the disciples. Jesus is talking not to convert because he's talking to people who already believe that he's the Messiah. He's talking to people who are already following him. So what he's doing in these passages is sort of giving further detail to the disciples about what the kingdom of heaven looks like, what the gospel is about. And so we're looking at sort of the intricacies of the kingdom of heaven rather than the kind of general overview today. Um, I had the privilege, when I was young and still today, of being able to go to this house in Devon that about 16 extended members of family own. And it's a basic house, but it sits right on the edge of a cliff in South Devon and has, to my mind, the most incredible view. If you look at one side, you can see out to sea, and on the other side, you've got the estuary. And so the view is permanently changing as the tide comes in and out. And so we try and go there as much as we can and try to take friends if we can. And when we've invited friends, I'll say to them, I'll try and explain the view to them, and I'll say, it's just so beautiful. It looks like this. And, and they'll sort of say, oh, cool, yeah, sounds nice. And I'm like, no, you're not getting how astounding the view is. And then when they come down, quite often they'll arrive late at night on a Friday night and it's dark and they can't see a thing. And then the next morning they wake up with this view in front of them. And without fail, they come down for breakfast saying, oh, it is the most incredible view. I could literally look out all day on this view. Now, that is how I feel this morning, talking to you about this treasure, this kingdom of heaven. When I sat down and read the verses that I was to be speaking on, my first response was, ah, oh, brilliant, familiar verses, this should be fine. I did some reading, I listened to some talks, and then I tried to put pen to paper. And I had a complete block because I realized that there was a disconnect. These verses were so familiar. And yet, actually, 
I wasn't really living life. My heart wasn't really in a place that was totally in line with these truths. I knew them so well, and yet actually I was slightly over here without realizing it. And so I had to take a bit of a risk. I write my sermons in and around looking after the children, so I have to be really organized with my time. But I realized that I wasn't going to be able to start putting pen to paper when I should. I just needed to sit in these verses and let God once again come and remind me about what they are, what they mean for me. And as it is when you sit in the Word, you discover new treasures. God shows you new things, new revelations come to mind. And so, of course, now I stand here and I want to tell you about the view that I've seen. I want to tell you about this astounding revelation that Jesus has been showing me over the last couple of weeks about what is in these verses. But of course, words fail me, and I've been in a bit of a grump for the last two weeks. Ed hasn't heard much of the talk because I've been struggling so much to try and explain what I think these verses talk about. So what I'm going to do today is hopefully put pins in the map, and you can follow them, and in your time as the Spirit leads, God will show you the treasures that are in this passage, what this kingdom of heaven looks like. So I'm going to look at four different aspects of this treasure, Um, and the first two are in the kind of the first two kind of parables that we come across in this passage So you've got the kingdom of heaven being discovered in a field by a man who didn't know it was there. And then you've got the pearl merchant who has gone out looking for pearls, but then is clearly surprised when he finds one of such great value that he has to go back and sell everything that he has. Um, Most of my friends, I've realized, think that I'm completely mad. Um, We've got three small children. Um, My life is chaotic. But we recently also went and bought a puppy. Um, I'm completely dog-mad, and I've been waiting desperately until Ed gave me the green light to say, you can get a puppy. Um, All my friends who have dogs and all my friends who don't have dogs said before we got her, you're too soon, you need to wait at least a year. They see me at the school gates, normally with my two-year-old screaming or shouting at me. But caution to the wind, we got a puppy. And so for the last two months, I have been the crazy lady on the common with the three children who are slightly out of control and a dog that I promised Ed I would train, who is completely untrained. And the problem is, is it's summer. And so what happens is we're on the common and I think things are going fine. And then our dog, Coco, she sees the group huddled far over there around a rug and she knows what's on the rug, the picnic. And it is like in that moment, she's gone. She's fast runner. And I'm like, do I leave the screaming two-year-old and run after the dog screaming, Coco, Coco, or do I stay with the two-year-old and let the dog devour the picnic? In that moment, the picnic to the dog is the ultimate treasure. There is, she's like she doesn't know me anymore. Everything else is meaningless. She is gone. And I'm the lady running over and trying to catch her while I profusely apologize and also trying to escape from the situation. It's happened so many times that it's, I now just don't let her off the lead. In a more profound sense, that's what happens to these two people in these parables. They see this treasure, and everything else becomes completely meaningless. Everything that they own, everything that they valued beforehand, is suddenly meaningless because they've seen this treasure. They've discovered, essentially, what the gospel is, what the kingdom of heaven is. Everything becomes completely meaningless. They're from different backgrounds. The pearl merchant was probably very wealthy. The man in the field probably didn't have much. One was looking for treasure, one wasn't. 
but their, their reactions are identical. And I think what this passage is for us is not sell everything that you have, but it's that when you really encounter the gospel, when you really encounter the kingdom of heaven, the response that you have is to say to Jesus, wow, everything that you've done for me, you've, you've died on the cross for me, you've forgiven my sins, you've given me this opportunity to become a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Everything else becomes meaningless. I'm going to surrender my life to you. You come and be the author of my life. Now, you've probably heard that said lots of times, but there's another thing that happens when we say that. When we say that, when we give our lives to Jesus, what he does is he then gives us this totally new identity. He then says to us, you are now a child of God. You are now a citizen of this kingdom of heaven. You no longer belong on this earth. This earth no longer has any hold on you. I went to um, my son's end-of-term service a couple of weeks ago, and it was run by the year six, so the 11-year-olds who were leaving the school. And the whole service was really about sending them off into their future. And what was amazing about it was the whole service was basically shaped around about who these children are in Jesus, and therefore what going into the future, their future will look like in Jesus. And I don't know whether all of these children were aware of what they were saying up on the stage, but the words of a song that they sang were so incredible and speak of who we become when we discover this treasure and say yes to this treasure. And so I wanted to read the words out. Now, it might be that you can't go as far as imagining what it would feel like if you fully believed these words about yourself. If that's the case, then imagine someone, your child, or someone that you really care about and you really want to see enjoy life or be okay in life, and what it would look like if they really believed these things about themselves. I think the words will come up on the screen so you can have a look at them. Um, so it says this, I know who God says I am, what he says I have, where he says I'm at. I know who I am. I'm walking in power. I'm walking in a miracle. I live a life of favor because I know who I am. I am holy. I am righteous. I am so rich. I am beautiful. Take a look at me. I am a wonder. It doesn't matter what you see now. I can see his glory because I know who I am. Now, if someone said those words about themselves and you didn't know anything about Jesus or them being a Christian, you'd think they were quite an arrogant person. But when you know that these words are said in the context of who I have become in Jesus, they're like dynamite. And I found myself, when I was listening to those 11-year-olds singing this song, praying that they would really know these truths. Because if, if they could really know who they are in Jesus, if they could know the power that they have in them, the freedom that they have to know that they are beautiful no matter what the world says. Imagine how they would live their life. Imagine what their life would look like. And it's the same for us. When we discover this treasure like these people, everything changes. We become this new person. And when we realize who we are, this treasure that God is unearthing in us as we say yes to him, suddenly we are freed to live life in a completely different way. Everything that the world says doesn't matter anymore. 
So that's the first thing that happens when we discover the gospel, the kingdom of heaven, whether it's for the first time or for the umpteenth time. We discover who we really are in Christ, this treasure that he gives us. The second thing is from just that first verse, the parable of the man who um, goes into the field. When we, the second thing is we discover that this treasure requires new eyes and new hearts to see it. So the context of this is in Jesus' time, people didn't take their valuables to a bank. They, were in, they had times of war, there was times of illness, there was times of unrest. So what someone did if they had something valuable was they would hide it in an unexpected place where hopefully nobody would look for it. So when the disciples are hearing this story, it's not surprising to them that someone's hidden some treasure in a field. But what often happened, of course, was this person would die unexpectedly and with it would die the knowledge of where the treasure was. So this field has probably been having this treasure in it for a long time. People have walked across the field, people might have farmed in the field, and they haven't discovered the treasure. And then this man comes along and completely unexpectedly discovers the treasure. The point is, is that the treasures of the kingdom of heaven, the treasures of the gospel, are hidden in places we wouldn't expect to find them. If you think about how the world advertises its form of treasure, it's loud, it's advertised, it's everywhere you look. It's through appearance. But Jesus says, my treasure, it's not how it looks superficially. My treasure is hidden in the ordinary places, in the ordinary people, in ordinary situations, in situations you wouldn't expect to find treasure. And so we need new eyes. We need his eyes to be able to see it. If you look at the person of Jesus, in Isaiah 53, it says there was nothing beautiful about him. Nothing about Jesus' appearance that would make us desire him. Even in Jesus, the treasure was hidden in an ordinary-looking person. He looked ordinary, he was poor, his friends were the down and outs. The disciples were a motley crew of fishermen. There was nothing on the outside, and yet we know that inside there was this treasure. And so the challenge is, where in our lives are we missing the treasure? Where are the ordinary places where there's actually deep treasure, where there's things to unearth that the world would never realize, would never tell us was there. We, um, about four years ago, we moved to Brixton. Um, we just had our second child, and so we, I decided not to go back to work. So on the spreadsheet, the, um, the finance, financial situation of our life wasn't going to look that great. And we knew probably we were going to need to find another way of bringing in a bit of income. And the main obvious way was to get a lodger. Um, for me, that was um, a, quite an uncomfortable thought. I'm quite naturally introverted. I find um, constantly communicating with my little children quite tiring. And so home, for me, is a haven. It's a place that I can go, I can be away from people, I can be sort of in control of my own space. And so the idea of having someone we didn't know coming and living in our house was, was quite uncomfortable. But it was the obvious, the practical, the ordinary thing to do. Lots of people do it. And so we prayed, and um, Ed said, oh, well, I think, I've, I think I've got this name in my head of the person that's going to come and live with us. And so we, we held it loosely, but we remembered it. And, and actually then for three months, someone else came to live with us with a different name. And um, I'm not saying the name because she actually comes to this church, and I didn't tell her I was saying the story. Um, and then three months later, we had to re-advertise the person had moved out. And this girl with this name emailed me and um, has been living with us for the last three and a half years. 
Now, to everyone else, that's quite a boring story. But to me, it's been a story of unearthing incredible treasure that I wouldn't trade for a spare room and an empty house any day. Because to me, it's been a connection with God where I've unearthed that he is my provider, that he knows that we needed the money, but he also knew me. And the girl that he provided for us to have living in our house was, I literally couldn't have written it better. She's amazing. She's probably quite similar to me in how she lives her life. And it's been the most wonderful experience having her in our home. And I now have this piece of treasure, this story of my own, not just that someone's told me God provides, but this experience that I've unearthed that I know he provides. And going forward, that's the treasure that I hold onto. But it requires the eyes to see it, the eyes, the question to say, where God in my work situation or with this person that I find really boring or actually just quite irritating at work or this home that actually isn't ideal and doesn't quite work for our needs or whatever it is, actually saying to God, okay, this looks like a boring, ordinary situation that really I'd like to change. But I'm beginning to realize that unlike the world, it's in those things that I might discover more of you or more of who I am in you. It's having those eyes to ask the question and see the treasure. So the next section of this passage, verses 47 to 50, um, I'm just going to read it out again. Um, So it says, Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets and threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So this is the bit of the passage that when I looked at, I thought, I wonder if I can subtly skip over it Um, because it's the uncomfortable bit. It's the bit people don't want to talk about when they talk about the kingdom of heaven, when they talk about the gospel. But it's here, it's in the Bible, and it's stark, and we have to acknowledge it. What Jesus is doing when he's talking to the disciples about this parable, he's saying to them, what you need to remember is that at the moment, the kingdom of heaven is coexisting. It's living alongside the fallen world. Good and evil are rubbing up against each other. But when I come back and when I bring the kingdom of heaven in its entirety, that will have to change. There will have to be a sifting of the bad and the good, of those who've said yes to the treasure and those who have walked away from it, having seen it. Why does he say this? He says this because of the nature of the kingdom of God, of how the kingdom of God operates. Because the kingdom of God, essentially, it's a kingdom where God reigns. And it's a kingdom where his people have chosen to be there, have chosen to submit to his reign, to say to him, I want you to be king of me. I want you to be my Lord. It's a kingdom where people live in harmony with each other, where there's peace, where there is no sin. There's no more suffering. There's no more tears. There's no more pain. There's no more death. It works because the people have chosen to be there, because God rules by love and not by dictatorship. So by default, you cannot have the people who don't want to be there in the kingdom because then it stops being the kingdom of heaven, because they don't want to submit to God's rule. They don't see the goodness in it. They bring 
the sin. They bring the rebellion with it. So for the kingdom of heaven to be what it's meant to be, by default, those that have seen the treasure and walked away from it cannot be in it. It's their own choice, essentially. Um, C.S. Lewis, in, his, in The Great Divorce, he puts it much better than me. Um, he says this, There are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. Without that self-choice, there could be no hell. No soul that seriously and constantly desires desires joy will ever miss it. Those who seek find. To those who knock, it is opened. Essentially what he's saying is, For those people that discovered the treasure, the man in the field or the pearl merchant, it was their decision. They could have seen the treasure and they could have walked away. But if you say the treasure is the kingdom of heaven, they see it, they say no to it, then ultimately they are not in it. It's just like with any other relationship. If you imagine that this treasure is at the center of it, there's the person, there's Jesus, there's the person that you have a relationship with. You Every morning when you get up, you can say yes or no to the relationships in your life. And it's the same with this. When you meet, when you encounter the person of Jesus, you can say yes or no. He invites everyone. Anyone can discover the treasure. But he doesn't force anyone. So anyone can walk away from the treasure. And that's the challenge for us. And it doesn't just happen once in your life because you can walk away from the treasure at any point in your life. So the treasure is there to say yes to and it's there to discover every day. But it's our decision. And then right at the end, there's this last verse which um, is quite obscure. Jesus says in verse 52, he says, Therefore every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. When I first read this, I didn't really understand what it was saying. But I think the challenge is that there's always more. There's always more treasure. If you are a Christian in this room, I wonder how many times have you come to church and heard that there was going to be a talk on the gospel, a gospel talk, and thought internally to yourself, oh, not another one. I've heard gospel talks a million times. I get this bit of, of what it's about. Could we hear something more challenging? The challenge to us when we think that is what does that make, what are you actually saying about the gospel when you say that? Because what we're saying is, oh, the gospel is for beginners. Oh, the gospel's for someone who is first hearing about Jesus, and then we go on and talk about other things, learn about other things. But to say that, well, essentially, it's basically an insult to the gospel and what Jesus did on the cross, because the depth and the riches that come from just that basic form of the gospel, that Jesus died for us and rose again so that we could be forgiven and have eternal life. We could just feed off that for the rest of our lives as Christians, and we would be set. There is so much treasure to discover in just that purest form of the gospel that actually every time we encounter it, whether it's in a song, whether it's in a talk, whether it's on our own, 
there is something more that Jesus has for us within it. The challenge is to ask yourself is, how recently did I discover something new about the gospel? Did God show me something new about myself or about himself within the gospel? How recently did I feel transformed by something from the gospel that God taught me? The gospel message, it's for the beginning of our walk as a Christian, it's for the middle of our walk as a Christian, it's for the end of our walk as a Christian. The gospel doesn't just save us once, it saves us every single day. And what this verse says is that if you are fully digging in to the treasure, if you are fully digging, fully looking like the pearl merchant, then you won't just have in your storehouse old truths that you learned the first time you became a Christian. You'll be able to bring out new things all the time, new bits of treasure all the time that you are learning through your encounters with the gospel. That's the challenge. When I was um, six years old, I woke up in the middle of the night and I was really struggling to breathe. I'd never had this before. And so I went through to my parents' room and told them I was struggling to breathe and they didn't know what to do. I'd never had this before. And so I remember my mum putting me in a hot bath and trying to calm me down, and eventually they took me to hospital because it wasn't getting any better. When I got to hospital, they very quickly diagnosed it as an asthma attack, and I'd never had one before, never shown any symptoms, um, but turns out I now have asthma. And of course, amazingly, in this day and age, within seconds, they had given me the medication that I needed, and my breathing relaxed, and, and I was okay. And so for the last keep forgetting how old I am, it's roughly 28 years, um, I've been on medication and I take this inhaler once or twice a day. Um, it's changed as medicine's evolved. And um, basically, because I've had asthma for 28 years, I actually regularly forget that I have asthma. It's very well controlled. If I take my inhaler, I barely notice it. And so it's easy to forget that actually this thing saves my life not just 28 years ago, but every single day of my life. And it doesn't take much when I forget to take it before, it doesn't take long before I feel the tightness and I realize, oh, I forgot my inhaler. It's a bit like that with the gospel. It's a living thing. The kingdom of heaven is a living thing. It's not a pay up once you'll remember, move on with your life. It's an everyday thing. The gospel transforms us every day. It saves us every day. It takes us closer and closer and closer to being with Jesus and like the person Jesus originally created us to be. And that's the challenge. Remember, Jesus is talking to the disciples. He's not talking to people who don't know about him yet. And what he's saying is he's saying, dig deep. Don't get complacent. Keep looking for the treasure. There is so much there for you. Keep digging. Now, I don't know where you're at. I don't know whether you are a Christian, whether you feel distant from Jesus, whether you feel close to Jesus, how long you've been a Christian. And I don't know what your response to this talk would be. Some of you will definitely have switched off. Some of you will be thinking, oh, yes, I, I needed to hear this, and actually I, I need to sit down and really pray about this. Some of you hopefully will be like, Oh, that's like water to the soul to hear the gospel message again. I don't know where you're at. Quite often, if I'm really honest, I'll hear a talk like this, and I'll be sitting there thinking, Do you know, I feel so tired because of, you know, running around with kids. 
I know emotionally I should be responding to this, but oh, I, I just want to go home and get the kids in bed and have my lunch or whatever it is. But the thing I've often been told and I find so helpful is if you're not feeling totally connected is to start right at the beginning and say to God, please give me a soft heart. Say, my heart doesn't even feel that engaged. Please give me a heart that softens. That can then connect with whatever it is you're wanting to say to me this morning. And when I was praying, I felt like God gave me these words for myself, but also for you guys, which was this invitation just to come and sit at my table. And the picture was of a basic kitchen, basic wooden kitchen table. And Jesus was at the table, and it was so simple. It was such a simple image. And it was just this invitation of just come and sit with me and eat with me. There was no condemnation. There wasn't much requirement. It was just come and sit at the table and be in my presence. And that's the invitation today, is to come and just wherever you are at, to say, Lord, soften my heart so that I at least want to see the treasure or experience the treasure or come that bit closer to you. So I'm just going to ask you to stand and I'm going to ask um, the worship band to come back if they're here or I'll give you back your songs. Um, And wherever you're at, I would just really encourage you as we sing just to um, ask God to come and speak to you and ask him to soften your heart and ask ask him to show you what he's speaking to you about. Um, I don't know if there's many um, hosting team or ministry team here, but if you are, if you're a leader of a connect group or if you're um, hosting today, if you could just come and stand at the sides. We would love to pray for anyone who specifically wants prayer. Um, so just as we're singing, come and, come and grab. Let me just say a quick prayer. Lord, I thank you for this, this, um, these passages about your treasure. And Lord, I thank you that they're so unfathomable because they're of you and they're so great that we will never exhaust them. But Lord, I pray that as we stand and sing now, that you might come and give each one of us glimpses of that treasure so that we can enjoy it, so that we can be encouraged that your kingdom is coming and that we can be a part of it, Lord. Amen.